Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fishery science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fisheriespod. If you're the generous type, you can be like Jerry, John, Garrett, Ben, and Janet, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or a one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, and stickers on our Teespring store, so go check it out. Today on the show, we have Ingrid Iricena, a Brazilian biologist with experience studying the reproduction, feeding habits, and age and growth of coastal and deep sea elasmobranchs, incidentally caught by both industrial and artisanal fisheries. She's a member of Minorities in Shark Sciences and the founder of The Shark Project, a social media initiative which aims to share information about marine life, especially sharks and rays, using more accessible language. She is currently pursuing a master's degree at the Federal University of Sao Paulo, where the objective of her thesis is to assess the effectiveness of a fishing moratorium for the conservation of angel sharks and guitar fishes in the southwestern Atlantic Ocean. Welcome to the podcast, Ingrid. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So we'll kind of hop right into the questions here, um, and I like to start by asking my guests a little bit about themselves and their background. So I'm wondering what originally sparked your interest in fishery science and the marine environment in general? Uh, so both of my parents worked at a federal agency under Brazil's Minister of the Environment, and at the age of five, uh, I spent my afternoons uh, after my kindergarten classes there. So I had a good opportunity of meeting different researchers and specifically an oceanographer uh, that sparked in me the curiosity for sharks and rays because he's one of the biggest specialist in sharks in Brazil. And because of him, I started to love sharks. I was that kid that loved dinosaurs. And when I discovered that sharks were like dinosaurs and I, I loved them even more. So it started from there. You're not the first person who's told me that they kind of came to sharks through dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was something like really special. But when I started talking to different people that work with sharks, I saw that it's something really common. And I thought I was the only one because I thought I was, I don't know, the weird one. <laughs> I think we're all the weird one, to be totally honest. Like all, yes. the, all the shark people, anybody who's going to dedicate their lives to some weird animal is probably the weird person, but there are a lot of us, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you are from and living in Brazil. Are yes. There, are there any unique challenges that come with being a Brazilian scientist? Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that we are facing and we have been uh, dealing with in the past few years are that the science in Brazil had some shortage in money. Um, 
the past president didn't really believe in science. So the biggest challenge, I think, at the moment is having funding for our researchers. A lot of students uh, don't have scholarships and these students have to work in different jobs that are not related to research. So it's a challenge to have money to survive and be able to study. Not everybody in Brazil uh, have the privilege of only studying to f dedicate full time to do their research. And this is a big challenge for a lot of Brazilians. I feel like I can definitely relate to that as a, somebody trying to do research in the U.S. You kind of need either family support financially or, you know, you take out loans or you hope for scholarships and grants and things like that. So I definitely feel you guys there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know it's not something unique in Brazil, but I think our country here is really big and we have so many different people from the same country. Like we have different problems in different regions and it's challenging. Something can be challenging for people from the north part of Brazil that is completely different from people from the south. So uh, the challenges are different, but the struggle is the same <laughs> in order to be a researcher here. I love that. The challenges are different, but the struggles are the same. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so I think now we'll kind of talk about what projects you've worked on. Can you tell me about the shark project and how it started? So since I was a kid, I always was the girl that liked to preach about sharks to everyone, to my colleagues in school, in elementary school. So I always like to talk about sharks. I always read a lot of things about sharks uh, when I was a kid. And when I started my undergrad, I noticed that I could invest in uh, social media. Uh, I like to record videos and post um, stories showing my work, showing my research. So I did that in my personal profile, but I thought I should do that in a separate profile so I can focus really on science and separate English for my personal life and Ingrid, the researcher. I started the Shark Project, which in Portuguese we say Projeto Tubarão. And the idea was to share scientific curiosities about sharks, rays, and other marine life. But uh, when I went to 
to do an internship at South Africa, I thought I had to do something to give back people that were helping me to do my internship because a few people bought t-shirts that I hand painted to sell and have money to pay for my internship. So I didn't like the idea of only receiving in for something of my benefit. I didn't want to be the only person having something. So I wanted to give back something to the people that were supporting me. And I started to share content of my internship in South Africa. And after I came, came back from South Africa, I started to post different things about sharks and my routine as an undergrad student. And especially when I started to work with artisanal fishers. So in 2020, you started a release program that gave fishers incentive to release species that were caused by catch. Yes. It was that part of your shark project? No, no. It started from nowhere. I started to receive messages and pictures and videos of fishers uh, capturing uh, stingrays and sharks in the city where I used to live because I had to move to a different city now to do my master's. So in my hometown, they were sending me pictures of a lot of stingrays and a lot of sharks being captured. And I tried in 2018 to speak with the fishers, but they were not very open about the idea of having a person that I wasn't a biologist. I didn't graduate. I was still an undergrad student, but the image, the idea of having a person that could potentially harm them if I saw something wrong, like if they were capturing prohibit species or something like that. They were not very open to me in 2018, but we exchanged our numbers and I tried to keep in contact with them to see if they were capturing more or less. I had to pause that project for a while. It wasn't a project. It was just me trying to to create a relationship with them, but they were not very open at that time. So during the pandemic in 2020, I went to a different period in my life after losing someone special to me. And I sent a message to one of the fishers that I met in 2018. And I asked, are you still fishing? Are you still doing something? How is the situation? And he said, we are still trying to fish because we need the food and we need the money. We are here. If you want to come, you can be here at 7 a.m. and we will talk. And from that day, I started going almost every day. I started fishing with them 
helping them, learning with them how to get the fish um, properly, get out of them of the, the fishing net. And I try to learn different things with them from their perspective because I already knew about about the fish, the different species, but I knew from the scientific perspective and not the their perspective that depend on the fish and what they know with their traditional knowledge. So it started from that. I mean, it sounds like it was a very impactful experience for you to like make this relationship. I mean, you said you were going every day. That's... Yes. That's a huge commitment from you. Yes. At the beginning, they were still a little afraid. They have like a different perspective of researchers. They don't trust a lot of researchers. They say that researchers go speak with them, collect data and never show up again. Or show up to say, oh, you cannot catch these species. It's illegal. You will be fined a lot of reais. So they don't trust researchers a lot. So I did what I could to show that I could be different. Because at the time, I had very extreme positions of what I thought fishers were that they were the bad guys and I didn't know what they were going through I just knew the perspective from the conservation world so I had to not live because I came home every day I came back home every day but I spent like from 7 a.m to 9 p.m with them at the beach fishing, leaving, having lunch, uh, breakfast with them because I didn't want to be like these researchers that do this with the fishers. So I did my best in at the beginning, especially in 2018, the fishers, they like to test me to see if I really knew <laughs> about fish so they started pointing at fish and say, okay, so if you know about this fish, what this fish likes to eat? If I open this fish, what will I find inside this fish? And they did different tests. Um, and yeah, they were trying to really see if I knew. At the beginning, they were not very friendly, uh, especially because I was the only woman there in the middle of a lot of um, male uh, fishers. So a lot of times I just sit it near the, the sea and cried. <laughs> I said, why they are being so mean with me? Uh, but, but after a while, I understood why they were so afraid of researchers. Um, so yeah, in 2020, it was a terrible time in the pandemic, but uh, I took care of me, I took care of them. I brought like a hand sanitizer, masks, 
I made them all wear masks and use hand sanitizer. So not me, not even me, and not a single one of the fishers that I worked got COVID. So, <laughs> yeah. <Nice>. And <laughs> exactly. It was in the beginning, they were not really into using masks, but we we had to use them. We have to, we have our families at home. So it was not only because about us, it was because of our families at home. And a lot of the fishers that I, I worked, they were elderly people. I had to, to be sure that we were all safe and they could still fish and have food uh, for their family, for themselves and also money to, to, to live. From my understanding, this is a project that you were kind of funding on your own. Is that right? Yes. At the beginning, it was me and my mom <laughs> that believing this crazy ideas that I have. It was my dream to, to see live animals, like live stingrays, and be able to touch them and release them, especially release them. So at the beginning, yes, I paid the research with my money. So overall, I'm honestly, I'm very impressed by this because it really just sounds like you did this because you wanted to and because you saw something that was important and you made it a priority. Like I saw a different perspective that uh, a lot of researchers just don't tell or researchers that don't care about the life uh, of those people that depend on fishing. And I saw how they were struggling to, to fish uh, they were struggling with money. They were struggling with food. They were not being able to sell lots of fish. They were not being able to capture a lot of fish. Um, the fishers that I work, they use um, beach seam. So they sell the fish after capturing the fish at the beach. They sell the fish at the beach. And because of COVID, they were unable to, to do that because people were forbidden to go to the beach. So it was really hard. And sometimes they had to, to push the canoes in the water and the, the weather wasn't good. Um, so the conditions were not good in any kind of perspective. And when they got little fish, not small fish, but the amount of fish that they captured wasn't enough to split be, um, between them. So it was like a lot of hard working. Sometimes they didn't sell or receive anything for the fish that they, they could sell for a few people that were at the beach. Converting to U.S. dollars, 
it was like receiving two dollars per day after a lot of hard work. In reais, it's it's like ten reais. How has the project since you started in 2020? How has the project developed, and what kind of successes have you seen? So luckily, I don't know if it was luckily. I don't know, but a few. I consider them angels. They sponsor my research. They gave me money, like they donated money to my research, especially to the research that I did with the cow nose race, because I started collecting blood samples from them to study. I started working in May 2020. And in August, I started to see that this, the cow nose race that they were capturing, of course, they were not the focus of the of the fishing operation but yeah it was an incidental capture um and i i did that to analyze the animals to measure because of that i was able to see that the cow nose were showing showing up with parasites ectoparasites so they were dying really fast And usually the cow nose are very resilient uh, during the fishing operation because they can still be swimming inside the fishing net because it's really close to the, to the shore. So they can be swimming until the, the net is fully in the sand. Uh, but as soon as we caught like touched the stingray she it, it was already dead because of the the ectoparasites at least it was what i thought at first but i had to be like a scientist and collect data to to prove this hypothesis i started collecting the blood samples and also uh, collecting the ectoparasites And one of the few species that were showing on the cow nose race were a marine leash. With the blood test results, it showed that a few of these cow nose were uh, having problems because of the marine leash. Because the, uh, the cow nose race that only showed up with isopods they didn't have the same results in the blood tests. It's something that I read in the in papers that marine leech marine leech can do to to animals that they parasite. Was this like a new thing that you found or as far as the effect that it was having on this particular population and species? So it was something that It was happening in 2020 only. In 2021, a few parasites still showed up in cow nose race, but not like it was in August and September of that year. So I'm still trying to work on that data, but... I don't have answers. I have more questions than right. answers. 
a lot of hypotheses. Um, and yeah, and because I didn't have enough funding, I couldn't collect everything that I could. And the priority was to release the, the Stingrays. I did what I thought it was the best option to remove the ectoparasites and release them instead of killing that, that, that animal to do analysis. Because I didn't have the funding to do the research, the research that I wanted. So I prefer to release the, the animals. And they never showed, showed up dead at the beach. So I don't know what the post-release mortality is because I don't have money to pay for this kind of research. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about what kind of insights you can pull from that project because that sounds really interesting. And now I also have questions. <laughs> yes, and the species of marine leech is a species that wasn't supposed to show up in Brazil because it's a species from the Mediterranean region. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have more questions than answers. Well, <laughs> that's science, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I just wanted to highlight how many animals you've helped release over the course of the three years that this project has been going on. So between 2020 and 21, I was able to get almost the exact number of stingrays released. But after a while, I was finishing my undergrad and I had to present like a thesis to end my undergrad. So I had to step away a little bit of this project and I lost the count of stingrays. But the, the fishers, they always uh, said to me like, oh, today we release 30 cow nose or we release two long nose stingrays. Uh, they did that for me. They told me, they sent me messages. Here in Brazil, we use a lot of WhatsApp. I know in the U.S. it's not that popular, but in Brazil, it's really popular and saves a lot of research because fishers communicate really fast in WhatsApp. They can send audios, they can send videos and photos. And sometimes when I wasn't, fishing with them. I was at the university doing my other project that was a different project for my thesis. They sent me videos releasing the stingrays even when I was not there with them because they, at first they, okay, they released the stingrays, but not that passionate about it. But now they release the stingrays and record videos saying, hi, Ingrid, I wish you were here. We are releasing these stingrays and blah, blah, blah. I have a video of one fishing operation at the beach that unfortunately for the fisher, they caught uh, 
around 300 cow nose rays. Only cow nose rays in his fishing net. Oh, no. And they had to call fishers from other canoes to help them to release. And they released all of them. It, it, it was hard to start this project. It was hard to gain uh, their trust and respect. But they now do love releasing stingrays by themselves. And they love speaking to tourists that goes to the beach. And they say, I'm releasing these stingrays because they are endangered and this is the proper way of holding them and they like to say that they record these videos and they post on their social media because they like to be known as the fisher that releases stingrays i love that that's so cute oh <laughs> i love yeah. honestly this relationship that you've like formed with this group of guys is just so cool yes i i, I consider them like a family because we had to start having breakfast, fishing, having lunch, fishing again. I I started to I don't eat fish at all. I don't eat anything that comes from the sea since I was seven years because of finding Nemo. So, <laughs> We're the same person. <laughs> yeah. So I don't eat fish, but I I became really good, a really good seller of fish. So people at the beach that goes to buy fish, I say, you can prepare this way, this way, and it will be awesome. You will love this fish. And I, d I haven't ate a fish like that. I never ate that fish. But the fishers, they told me everything. They tell me the entire process of how they prepare the fish. And I say that to people and they buy the fish and I'm a very good seller. <laughs> awesome. I know that you are currently working on your master's. Um, can you tell yes. me a little bit about what that thesis project kind of looks like? So my master's degree project started aiming to study the age and growth of two species of race uh, that are incidentally captured in commercial fishing operations. I had to change a little bit the theme of my project this year. And now I will be working with the evaluation of the effect of the fishing moratorium in the fisheries of angel sharks and guitar fishes in the south southeast region of Brazil because it's a big problem here. Angel sharks and guitar fishes are prohibited species, but they are still being captured despite being prohibited. So we need to evaluate the effects what happened? Is the moratorium really having a good impact in those species? And we need to evaluate that to do fisheries management and the conservation of these species. And are you still pretty early on into that project? Yeah. So I had to start from the beginning, like 
restart everything. So hopefully until the the end of the first semester of next year, I'll have completely uh, finished my master's. So yeah, fingers crossed. Very cool. Sounds like it's right around the corner. And I'm looking forward again to hearing the results of that project as well. Yes, me too. I'm excited because it's a really problem between fishers uh, and researchers because banning a fish, like a species of fish, not always is the solution. It's not the only solution sometimes. Because you can say to the fisher, you are not allowed to capture, you are not allowed to land this species, but you cannot say that to the fish on the water. We don't have signs saying, fish, please don't be trapped in this fishing net because you are a prohibited species and that you will bring a lot of trouble to fishers. In the differing reality in the perfect world it will be exactly what we needed but at the same time that we are banning fishers to capture these species we are also uh, having a problem to have data to support uh, this banning and we cannot have data about the species Well, right, because if they catch it, they're not allowed to land it, and they don't want to get fined. They're not going to tell you they caught it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Makes sense. Well, it's clearly going to be an impactful project and hopefully continues on with what you've already done with kind of getting that improved relationship between fishers and scientists. That's super important to build. Yes, we cannot be the kind of researchers that only listen to one side, one part of the story. We also need to hear what fishers have to say and what their experience that we can try to avoid and what they can change. It's something that it needs to be done in both perspectives. Like the researchers need to do this, but fishers need to do that as well. And the same way researchers need to do some things and fishers others. What's something you're passionate about besides fishery science? Mm, that's a really good question. I loved working with reproduction uh in ecology in general like feeding habits and studies like that but since i started working with traditional communities everything changed for me because i was one person before i started working with artisanal fishers and i'm a completely different not only researcher, but a person. I'm completely different. You see working with these traditional communities, you see and hear and feel what they go through. Like a lot of tourists and 
locals from my hometown, they don't like to see fishers, artisanal fishers at their beach because they consider the owner of the beach. They say seeing a canoe and a fishing net is something that it's like pollution, like visual pollution for them. So my city is known as the Brazilian Dubai because we have like the highest buildings in Latin America and there's a lot of money involved in that. So they are trying to not end, but they do everything they can to not see fishers at the main beach of my hometown. So it's different to think in working in other areas now that I'm involved in this area. But they still want fish, but they just don't want fishermen? Exactly. <laughs> they don't want to see the process of fishing. They just want to go to the supermarket, they buy the fish, go home, and it's fine. And the same people that say that they don't want to have fishers at the Praia Central, the central beach at my hometown, are the same people that they get out of their expensive um, apartments, buildings, and ask fishers to give them discount. And their <laughs> apartment costs like one million of reais, but they still have, they still want to have discount on their fish. Wow. That's another level of frustrating. <laughs> Just hearing that. I'm like, ugh, <laughs> gross. Yes. All right. <laughs> I think I think we're ready to go into our final five, unless there is anything else that you would want to talk about before we go. It's that, like, a lot of... It, to, this year was the first time that I went to the U.S. I watch a lot of content from the U.S., but this year was my first year in the U.S. attending to a conference, to a scientific conference, and I saw the difference, like the different realities that you guys, most of the guys and the persons that are listening this podcast, they have a completely different reality than we have here in Brazil. Like we do a lot with so little. And I'm not saying that you guys don't appreciate you, what you do, but it's something that it's already considered like a something that we do on a daily basis. And here, for, for example, tagging a shark in Brazil. <laughs> oh, gosh. I wish it was something common, but it's not. Like, one satellite tag costs a lot here in Brazil. Just one. And it was really different to see. It was a cultural shock to see what you guys are doing in the U.S., for example, and what we do here and what we could be doing here if we had just a little bit of money. I just wish people 
appreciate it and give more value to their research because not everybody has the luck that most of you have. Yeah, I'm glad that you talked about that because that's, I mean, that's where we met. Exactly. <laughs> so I can definitely see how it would be shocking to just see the technology that some of these labs in the U.S. have access to on a regular basis. Yes. As somebody who studies an animal that lives in both the U.S. and Brazil, I would love to see an expansion of those resources because it's something that I think about when I'm doing, you know, like my literature reviews and things like that. I'm like, okay, but what is this stingray doing like further south? Because <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure that people in Brazil also want to know. I, I wish like my problem was... Oh, I'm so tired. I tagged 40 sharks this week. Oh, gosh, I wish I could say that I'm tired of tagging sharks like that. Like, I never tagged shark or stingray with a satellite tag. Like, I only saw a satellite tag, but it was just for like a workshop to see and show what is the satellite tag. But it's not something common in Brazil. <laughs> that is something that I hope grows in the U.S. It's just not something that we have to think about as much. It's not that common here. I wish it was. I really wish it was. But it's not. And I know that... Tagging studies are important, but I believe that working with traditional communities, uh, you can have a pretty good idea of what is happening in that ecosystem and with spending much less money. I mentioned that I study, you know, southern stingrays, which are yeah. native to South America and other, you know, other places in the Caribbean that don't speak English. There's probably so many papers that I just haven't seen because they're not being either they're not in the databases that I'm using or even if they are like maybe I yes. miss them entirely because I can't read it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's something that I've been yeah, trying to is, kind of this figure is what out, I but I just do don't. With. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you if you publish a paper and it's not in English, for a few researchers your research doesn't exist and their research is the first. So yeah, it's really problematic. But yeah. I think when you have especially in, in the context of like marine science and highly migratory species or species with huge like ranges. Yeah, there's got to be like a better way to connect researchers who don't speak the same language but are publishing on the same topics. That's also why I publish things on uh, Instagram, like on Shark Project, because a lot of papers, they are being published, but they are in English and the number of people in Brazil that speak speaks English is not that high. So a lot of this knowledge that is being generated 
it's not having the impact that it should have. So someone needs to translate and not translate English to Portuguese, for example, uh, in technical terms. You need to translate that in an accessible language that everybody can understand. Yep, we do. We have a lot to do still. Yeah. Because I see it as like something that's preventing a lot of collaboration. Yes. We just need like a headset that will <laughs> let us talk to anyone, no matter what language they're speaking. <laughs> and translate in real time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for that. I think now we're going to hop into your final five questions. So to start, we always ask, what's your favorite fish? That's a really difficult question because I don't like I have one favorite species of fish. I like to at least say that I have a favorite shark and a favorite, favorite ray because I don't think it's fair to only say sharks. I know most of the people, they like sharks. I do love sharks, but I, I really want people to love and appreciate the stingrays and the skates and the rays in general that we have. So my favorite shark would be the scalloped hammerhead. And my favorite ray would be the white spotted eagle ray. I have both of them tattooed in my arm. And to say one chimera, I have the American elephant fish. I have the three of them tattooed in my arm because they're really important species in my professional career. And for example, um, the white spotted eagle ray was the first scientific name that I learned and memorized. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, and it's beautiful, so... Yeah, they're gorgeous. Yeah, so I would say that I don't have one. I couldn't say one. There are so many species that would be so... I don't know. I don't know. I have these three. <laughs> awesome. What is your favorite memory from your career so far? I have a lot of memories, um, but my happiest memories are with fishers at the beach. Just having a good time fishing, learning, sharing my knowledge and them sharing their knowledge and their stories. I think I have really good memories with them that changed my life. And what is your dream job or dream location? <laughs> I don't know. I, when I was a kid, I always wanted to go to Australia and work with great white sharks in Australia. But I fell in love with stingrays, so... I still want to go to Australia in some point of my life, but I don't know if I have like a dream location. 
the dream job would be something that I could be at the beach with the artisanal fishers and do lab work. A, a mixture of everything. I love being at the lab, but I love being at the beach with the fishers and at the sea. So something that could I could do a little bit of everything would be my dream job. And also I would want at a, some point of my life, I would like to be a professor. I like to share my knowledge and I like sharing knowledge. I don't like to be the person that only speaks and others listen. I like sharing. So something that could do the research and also teaching. Yeah, I think you'd be good at that. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, If money were not an issue, what's one project you'd love to work on? I would love to have money to buy satellite tags to <laughs> understand what the cow nose rays are doing in my hometown and where they go after where they are going. I would love to understand because I know there's a huge population of cow nose in the US and I would love to compare if there's something if they are related, if they are the same population, if they are different populations, I would love to understand that. I would love to do uh, an analysis, a further analysis uh, of this with the cow nose race. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a like a cool genetics study. It, it would be not like only genetics, like it would connected. be everything. Like, we could do, like, so many partnerships with this opportunity. I, I don't think, like, doing a research like that would be only based in the tagging. I think we have opportunities to do and collect so many data and share uh, what you guys have in the U.S., with what we have in Brazil to understand the entire dynamic that happens here in the Southern Hemisphere and in the North Hemisphere. I think it would be like a, a really cool thing to do. Yeah, definitely. If you ever figure out, you know, how to, how to make that dream come true, feel free to shoot me an email because I'd love to help. <laughs> Yeah, I already wrote to a few uh, grants. I almost got one, but they only have like, I think, 25 grants. And I was in the top 30. So, oh, so close. Yeah, I it was so close. Get the next one. Hopefully, hopefully. All right, I've got one last question for you. If there was one point or principle that you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be? Again, I know I sound like a broken record, but I learn a lot with fishers, not only about fish or any marine life, but I learn a lot about being a good person. And when I started working with them, 
I wanted to be the person that speaks. But learning and working with them, I learned that you need to listen their side of the story. So, yes, uh, sharing your scientific knowledge with traditional communities is important, uh, but we need to listen. Listen is really important, and it's something that sometimes uh, the scientific community forgets to listen others and the other side of the story. So in, it's something that not only apply to the scientific world. Sometimes we need to listen more than speak. And you can learn a lot just hearing people's stories. Speaking is important, but listen is essential. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's my first podcast and it's a challenge because English is not my first language so I'm a little bit nervous so sorry guys if my English was not perfect I'm really trying <laughs> and thanks for listening no you did fantastic it was great um, if people want to find out more information or get a hold of you what's the best way to do that um, you can find me on ResearchGate, if you want to read some of the papers that I have been a co-author, you can find me on Instagram. Um, I think I'll probably send the name because in Portuguese, the spelling uh, can be difficult to English speakers. Um, but you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you can find me <laughs> okay awesome yeah we'll put your we'll put your at in the episode description so it'll be easy to find okay. if anyone would like to get a hold of me or the other podcast hosts you can find us on twitter facebook or instagram at fisheries pod or via email at feedback at the fisheries podcast.com you can download past present and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or the fisheries podcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome fisheries podcast merch available on Teespring. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening in. And remember, speaking is important, but listening is essential. <laughs>